This morning we're going to start a new series in the book of Philippians written by a man named Paul. And I don't know if you've ever had a friend like this. I have had a couple in my life. Um, I had a friend in college, his name was Jeremy, and he's one of those guys that's like the nicest guy on the planet. Do you guys have friends like that? I'm not that friend, if you were curious. And, uh, but like anything would happen, he'd be like, oh, it's great. You'd run into him, like his car would have broke down, uh, his house would have flooded, and he'd be like, hey, Jeremy, he'd be like, hey! He was like, you are so nice, like I want to punch you in the face. And uh, he was that way all through college. In fact, for a whole season, like six months, I called him by his wrong name. I thought his name was Mark. And one day we're walking down the stairs, me and another guy, and he's coming up. I'm like, hey, Mark. He's like, hey. And my other friend goes, why do you call him Mark? I go, because that's his name. He goes, no, his name's Jeremy. What? So I go, I said, is your name Jeremy? Yeah. And I said, I've been calling you Mark for six months. Well, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. It's no big deal. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And, and I always am amazed at people like that, that they're just so filled with joy. And, and I tell you that to tell you this, that sometimes Paul in, in Scripture is like that for me. Like Paul seems to be that guy that no matter what happens, he's just filled with joy. Like he, he, he can have the worst. He can be beaten. He can be thrown in prison. He can be ridiculed. And he's like, but things are good. And I'm just like, seriously? <laughs> like, you know, like, I went, to, I went to eat the other day, and they put a tomato on my hamburger, and it ruined my day, <laughs> right? And you're in prison, and everything's great. He just seems filled with joy, no matter the circumstances. And Paul is who wrote the book of Philippians, this letter to a church in Philippi, and he writes it while he's in prison. And, and he's more than likely in prison at a place called the Praetorium of Herod the Great. And that's going to be important a little bit later on, and it's in Rome in a place called Caesarea. He's in a Roman prison, and it kind of makes sense that Paul writes the Philippians from prison because when Paul visited Philippi and he planted a church there, he was actually thrown in prison there. Paul and Silas, when they were in Philippi, had freed this girl from a demon, and it cost a bunch of people some money, and so they were thrown in prison, and while he was in prison in Philippi, he actually won the jailer to Jesus. And Paul's in prison as he writes this letter to these people in Philippi. And the church in Philippi is the first church that Paul ever planted. It's the first church that he ever started. And to be honest, as you read scripture, it seems to kind of be his favorite. He started this and these people are now Paul's support. In fact, I would suggest to you that Philippians is actually a support letter. Most of you know that I work for an organization called CSF, Christian Student Fellowship, and 80% of my time is really spent fundraising and helping raise money for our nonprofit organization, so I know a little thing about support letters. And that's what Paul is really writing here, that Paul planted this church, he invested in these people, and now Paul has went to do other things. And so Paul writes them this letter because they've supported him, they're rooting for him, they've contributed financially to his ministry, and he wants to let them know what's going on. And so Paul in prison, these are the people that he wants to write to because these are Paul's people. And so Paul writes them a letter to tell them what's going on in his life and also to encourage these people that he's invested in to continue to grow in their faith. And the Philippian church is actually one of the healthiest congregations that Paul planted. It doesn't seem to have the major issues that you see in the, in the letter to the Corinthian church or even to the Galatian church. It seems to be a pretty healthy congregation. 
Nothing major seems wrong. And, and Paul shows, though, that he has concern for them. He wants to make sure that they're growing in their faith, that they're not just content that everything's okay. He wants to make sure that they're continuing to grow and to become more like Jesus. And, and honestly, as I studied this letter the last few weeks, it kind of reminds me of us. It, it kind of reminds me of Journey. Like, I think we're okay. <laughs> like, I don't think there's anything major going on. But yet I think it might be good for us as we get ready to head into this new season of ministry. In just a few weeks, our new lead pastor will be here. In just a month or so, he'll be up preaching and leading and, and helping us find, follow, and be like Jesus. And as we head into that new season of ministry, I think maybe it'd be good for us to remind ourselves that we're supposed to continually grow in our faith. That we're not supposed to just be content with the way things are, not just to be, well, it's not that bad, so it must be okay. And Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, and he begins by talking about, he addresses it to the saints. And that word saint just simply means set apart. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you're a saint. Congratulations. Your spouse thinks otherwise, but it's true. <laughs> All right? It's in Scripture. And so we're going to read the first 11 verses to start, and it's kind of a normal greeting to a letter. Paul just kind of starts out with the, hey, how are you? This is what's going on. But in the midst of this greeting, there's a few things that I think are essential for you and I to talk about as we journey in this letter in Philippians. See, Philippians is all about living like Jesus. Paul writes this letter to this church who things are going okay, but what he wants them to know is that you and I, as followers of Jesus, are supposed to be continually growing in our faith. And this letter is about what does it look like and what does it mean to live for Jesus. And even in the introduction, there's just a few things that I think are essential for you and I to recognize this morning as we begin to dive into this letter in the coming weeks, as we begin to see what Paul fleshes out about how to live like Jesus. So in the first 11 verses, Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he begins his letter. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he, Jesus, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and in the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus. It's my prayer that your love would abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you can approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. And Paul starts this letter, and in verse 6, there's a, there's a little phrase that has deep meaning for you and me as we talk about what does it mean to live like Jesus. He says, I'm sure of this, that Jesus, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus. What he's saying is that God started something in you and me when we came to the cross, when we gave our life to Jesus, he began something in us that will never be completed until we meet Jesus again face to face. 
So what Paul reminds us of right away this morning is that you and me, we're a work in progress. God's not done with us yet. If you're alive, he's not done using you. And if you're alive, he's not done growing you. And the term for this, the big fancy word, is sanctification. And sanctification is that process of becoming more and more obedient to Jesus. Sanctification means growing and transforming to be like Jesus. And Paul says the sanctifying work began at the cross. That you and I were justified at the cross. Justification is different than sanctification. Justification was a one-time thing at the cross where Jesus died for you and me and made us right with God. We can do nothing on our own to be right with God. We've been justified because of the cross. But our sanctification began at the cross. That once we were saved, Jesus began to do a work in us to make us look more like him. God started this work, he continues this work, and he will not complete this work until Jesus returns. He's not done with you or me yet. You and I are not done growing in Christ yet. If you're 9 or 99, you're not done becoming more like Jesus. And as we begin this series in the book of Philippians, I think it's important for us to start by remembering that sanctification is a process and not an event. Becoming like Jesus is a marathon and not a sprint. It's not something that we snap our fingers and go, yep, look like Jesus, good to go now. And Paul writes a church that I think is a little like us, who for the most part things are okay, and he wants to remind them, don't forget that you're not done growing yet. You're not done changing yet. I, I love the story uh, supposedly, uh, Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham, uh, when she died in 2007, she has a pretty unique saying on her tombstone. And I guess throughout her life, she had spoke a lot about this idea of, of growing until Jesus returns and that you're never done becoming more like Jesus. And supposedly, the story is that she'd been driving one day along a highway that had just a ton of construction, right? So she must have been driving through the Midwest. And uh, she got there, and she said she just saw sign after sign after sign, like just of construction going, construction coming, workers watch out. And she said like just thousands of signs. And she finally got to the end, and she said there was one last sign at the end of the construction that said, end of construction, thank you for your patience. And she's like, you weren't in the car with me. I was not very patient, so you're not welcome, right? And we've all been there, right? Like you get to the end, you're like, yeah, you're welcome for my patience. I'm taking the other route home. But supposedly, when Ruth was buried, on her gravestone, that's what it says. It says, Ruth Graham it has the day she was born and the day that she died. And it says, end of construction, thank you for your patience. I like that. I think that's a good reminder for me this morning. In those moments where I feel so far from God, in those moments where I feel like I, I do things I should know better by now, in those moments where I, I just don't look as much like Jesus as I should at this age, to be honest. In those moments where after walking with him for 20-some years, I go, how do I not get this yet? I'm just reminded that, that I'm in construction, and so are you. And so thanks for your patience. And, and I think that's a good reminder to us, because the deal is, church, we're in this together. We're in this together. That's what Paul tells us. I love that phrase. 
There's two words in here that I just love. Paul tells this church, he says, we're partners in the gospel. Boy, I love that word, that word partner. He says, we're in this together. And then a few verses later, he says, and we're all partakers of grace. Partners and partakers. And I love that word picture that Paul paints of the church, because what he's telling them is he says, we're in this mission together. You and me, because we're followers of Jesus, we're in this together. We're partners in bringing the gospel to the world. But in those moments that we fail, in those moments that you and I don't look as much like Jesus as we should, he goes, don't forget that all of us are partakers of grace. We're forgiven. And he says, we're partners in what God calls us to do. And this goes beyond just hanging out. This, this is sharing a common mission that is bigger than you and me. When we are together as followers of Jesus corporately, we are part of something that's bigger than ourselves. We're a part of a mission to bring Jesus to a world that does not know him. And when I think about that, I'm overwhelmed by the, the weight of that mission. And to be honest, sometimes I'm guilty of the fact that I haven't done that as well as I should. And so it's like Paul knows that's what we're going to think. It's like Paul knows when he says partners of the gospel, some of us go, oh my gosh, I don't know that that's what I've been. And he says, yeah, but it's okay. We're partakers of grace. We're forgiven by a Savior who died. And he says, we're in this together. The way we work together will bring the gospel to the world. In fact, Jesus said that's how the world would know that we're his disciples. Jesus said the world will know that you're a follower of Jesus by how we love one another. How you and I, as followers of Jesus, interact with each other, love each other, work together for a common mission, that's how the world knows that Jesus is real. I love that idea. That idea that we're tied together. It reminds me, you've heard this illustration probably before, but the huge red cedar trees that are along the west coast of the United States, they're just gigantic, you can't wrap your arms around them, and from a distance they appear just incredibly strong and mighty and powerful. But, but if you get up close, if you know the story of some of those trees, that underground their roots are actually pretty shallow. In fact, oftentimes when one of them falls, like ten others will fall with it. And, and the only way these gigantic trees stay up is they actually lean against each other. Like, if they start to fall, there's one that's maybe a little stronger, and so it leans against that, and it leans against this one, and this one, and this one, and eventually they're okay. And over time, their roots under the ground have actually intertwined together. So they literally cannot stand on their own. And that's how the church is supposed to be. That if we're going to look like Jesus, we have to be in this together. And there's going to be moments when, when you are weak. There's going to be moments where life has you down and you are ready to fall over, and this needs to be a place where you can lean on someone else who's in a season of strength. And if you're in that season of strength, you need to be there for the people who aren't to lean on you because there's going to come a day when you're going to need to lean on them. And I see this. And, and man, can I just tell you, there's almost nothing more beautiful than when that happens. There's almost nothing more beautiful than when people who just can't stand on their own lean on each other. And, and I've seen that. I've seen that here. I, I debated sharing this story because I, I don't want to pull something out that was kind of a moment, but they did it in a public place, so I don't really care. And, uh, but I saw this a few weeks ago. If you're here on Tuesdays, we have a, a ladies' Bible study that meets on Tuesdays. 
And if you've been here, uh, you've heard them. Um, <laughs> that you hear them cackle all the way down the hall. It's beautiful. And uh, if you've been here, you know who they are, and you've seen them out there. Uh, they're just a group of ladies that are just a tiny bit older than me, and they meet on Tuesdays, and they, they start at like 11 o'clock, and they get done about midnight, I think. And uh, <laughs> that's not true. But the other day, I walked out of the office down the hall, and it was real quiet. Now, I'm just going to tell you this. With this group of ladies, it's like my kids. When it gets quiet, I get worried, <laughs> all right, because they're probably plotting something, and usually it's got to do with me. And so somehow I've become that person for them, and that's okay. Um, I, I can handle it. And, uh, <laughs> but I come around the corner, and it's super quiet, and I'm like, oh, what are they planning? Right? Like I'm waiting for one of them to jump out from behind a cupboard and scare me. And I come around, and I don't know what was going on, and, and I don't need to. But I walk by, and one of the ladies, I couldn't even see who it was, in the group is in the middle in a chair, and there's ten other ladies who have their hands on her, and they're praying for her. And I don't know what was going on, nor do I need to. But I just walked around, I thought, there's somebody who needed to lean. And I've seen that in these ladies. That when one is in a season of weakness, they lean, and the other ones who are in a season of strength hold them up. And if we're going to grow to be like Jesus, that's who we have to be. You and I have to have relationships with other people who love Jesus, who can be our strong tree when we fall over and we have to be that to other people. And that's what Paul tells us. Paul says we're still growing and we're in this together. And so let's root for each other. Let's be a group of people who are genuinely for each other. I love Paul's words here. Like you can tell Paul loves these people. Like he talks about how he longs to be with them. And how he can't wait to be around them. I love that. He says, we're partners. We're partakers of grace. You're my family. And in 1 John chapter 3, I don't know that I, I know I've read this verse before, but I never really thought about it a whole lot. John says, we know that you and I know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Think about that. Just last week, we talked about how we walk out of the grave with Jesus from death to life, right? But John says, if we don't love each other, it's like we stayed in the grave. He says the thing that shows the world that we have passed from death to life is loving each other. And when we don't root for each other, when we focus on what somebody doesn't do instead of what they did, when we complain when things don't go our way, it shows that we're still in the grave, that we're still dead inside. If we want to grow to be like Jesus, we've got to start celebrating like Jesus. We've got to start rooting for people like Jesus. Like Jesus just never seemed to kick somebody when they were down. And people let Jesus down all the time. And yet Jesus is the guy who gets let down time after time after time, and he just goes, no, you're doing a good job. It'll be okay. You got this. Let's do it again. We have to celebrate those things. And there's a tradition here at Journey that if you haven't been here a long time, you probably don't know where it started. In fact, I kind of forgot until I thought about it this week. But if you've been here at Journey on a Sunday morning where somebody uh, comes forward and is baptized into Christ and buries their old life and is raised anew, if you've been here, we all stand up and we all clap and we give a standing ovation. And uh, you know where that started? It was about 10 years ago, maybe 12. 
We had two college guys, football players, named Alex and Ben. And Alex and Ben were here, and I don't even remember who got baptized. I just remember that somebody got baptized, and when they came up out of the water, Alex and Ben stood up, and one of them went, woo, and they started clapping like this, and we all stood up. It could have been peer pressure. Um, it could have been the fact that Alex is like 6'10 and 250. Um, it could have been the fact if you watched Ben play on Saturday, if he hit you on the football field, you didn't remember your name for about three weeks. Um, maybe we were just all scared, but we all stood up and we all clapped, and it stuck. And I remember after church going up to those guys and saying, that was great, why'd you do that? And I don't remember their exact words, but it was something along the lines of this where Ben said, well, why wouldn't we celebrate what she did? He goes, boy, we just want her to know that we're so, that, that's how excited I am for her. And we want her to know that we're with her. Like, let's get excited for people who are going to change their lives. He's like fired up, and I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> but that's how it's supposed to be. That even if I don't know you super well, when I see you do something for Jesus, man, I should just root for you. Because we're in this together. And we have a mission to accomplish, and we need each other. Well, Paul goes on, and there's, there's six more verses I want to look at this morning. Because it's kind of this example where Paul says this, and then we see that he actually practices it in his life. In verse 12, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, being in prison, has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is actually for Jesus and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are, are a lot more bold to speak the word without fear. Some preach Jesus from envy and rivalry, but others do it from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, and the former, they, do it for the, they proclaim Christ out of a selfish ambition. They don't do it sincerely. They, they, they're doing it to actually afflict me or to punish me while I'm in prison. He said, so what do I do? Well, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Jesus is proclaimed, and so I rejoice. So what Paul is telling these people is that he's in prison, but actually it's being used to advance the gospel. And what Paul says, he says, there's a group of people who are actually preaching Jesus, but they're really not doing it to get people to Jesus. They're doing it out of competition with me. And they're talking down about Paul, and they're telling people that Paul, I mean, he's in prison. How good of a Christian can he be? And they're trying to get on a higher platform than Paul, and they're basically making Paul's imprisonment harder. And here's that moment with Paul, right? It's like my friend Jeremy. I'm like, seriously, Paul? And yet I rejoice. I'm like, what's wrong with you? I'm in prison, but seems to be working out. Really? These people are ridiculing me and mocking me and trying to make my life harder, but I'm excited about it. And I'm like, can I punch you in the face, Paul, and see if you get angry? But Paul reminds us in this section as we get ready to finish this letter in the next six weeks, that when we live for Jesus, the gospel is bigger than us and our circumstances. See, at one level, this letter to the Philippians is Paul telling them what's going on in his life. But at another level, this letter to the Philippians reminds us that God will advance the gospel through any and all circumstances. Paul says, I'm in prison, and that's actually helped to advance the gospel. Now, now, you need to know this morning, that word advance, I don't even know if that's a great translation. Uh, the, the New Testament in the Bible was originally written in Greek, and the Greek word for advance is prokope. And that word actually means to remove an obstacle. 
which makes it even harder for me to believe. Like what Paul says is Paul says, by being put in prison, it's actually removed an obstacle for me to share Jesus. And I'm like, really? Because prison kind of seems like an obstacle to me. I've never been, but it doesn't seem like something that would help me advance the gospel. Until you figure out what Paul's talking about. Remember at the very beginning I said that praetorian, the praetorium of Herod was going to be real important? So see, Paul for two years has been in prison. And the way this prison works is you are chained to a praetorian guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so there would be a handcuff on Paul and about 18 inches of chain and a handcuff on a praetorian guard. And those guards were with you for six hours a day and then they would rotate shifts. And so Paul has one-on-one time literally within two feet of a praetorian guard six hours a day. There's probably been about a dozen of them that have went through this and Paul has been sharing with them in uninterrupted time for six hours who Jesus is and what he's done. And so some of these guards are coming to Jesus, and they're surrendering their life. Well, here's the other deal, is the Praetorian Guard is the elite of Roman guards. So these are the guys that are the bodyguard to Caesar. They're the guys that are controlling the palace. They're in the place with the most important people politically in all the world. And Paul is witnessing to them And then they're going into Caesar's palace where Paul would never have been allowed to go. And they're telling people in Caesar's palace about Jesus. And so what Paul says is by being in prison, it actually took away the barrier to get the gospel to Caesar and his people. And Paul reminds us that the most important question you and I can ask in all of our circumstances is how can God use this to get people to Jesus? Are people coming to know Jesus? And when you look at Paul and you ask that question, like how do you have that kind of joy? We have to look at what brings Paul joy. Paul never says, look at my house and rejoice. Paul never says, look at my new car and rejoice. He never says, look at my family or my bank account or my cool job or Look at how nice I look, or look at my new fitness routine and rejoice. Paul says, look at Jesus, and look at the people who are coming to know him, who you never thought would, and rejoice. See, Paul has this Christ-focused and Christ-centered perspective. He doesn't whine about his situation. He doesn't complain for a cushier mission field that maybe God could have sent him to. He doesn't even get upset when there are people who are trying to bring him down while he's in prison. Paul is stuck in prison, and yet he rejoices. Because Paul cares about Jesus being shared. He cares about the gospel being advanced, and people coming to Jesus. And since that's happening, then Paul's okay. And when you and I are in the middle of hardship as we're growing to live like Jesus, when we're in the middle of suffering and not knowing what will happen, we have to lean into Jesus. We have to trust that God is all-knowing, that he's sovereign, and that he can work this out somehow. And we have to trust that maybe he can even use it to advance the gospel. But sometimes that's hard, isn't it? I mean, 
Let's be real this morning. It's really easy to say rejoice despite the circumstances until the one whose circumstances aren't good is you, right? Like it's really easy to say, hey, no matter what happens, rejoice until you're the one that's in prison, until you're the one sitting in a place that you never thought you would be. It's real easy to say, hey, rejoice until it's your job that gets taken away. It's really easy to say, yeah, it'll all be okay. Until it's your family member who's hurting. Or until it's you that gets the doctor's words that you didn't want to hear. Or until it's your life that's flipped upside down. It's really easy to say rejoice until you're the one in prison. Can I just tell you this morning, church, that's okay. Like if your life is really jacked up right now, if you're in circumstances that feels like a prison, if you've heard those things and it's hard to rejoice, it's okay. It is okay to grieve. It is okay to be sad. It is okay to be frustrated. It is okay to doubt. It is okay. You and I serve a Savior that can handle all those things. But can I tell you this this morning? Because of Jesus, and only because of Jesus, you and I can grieve and still rejoice. Because of Jesus, and only because of Jesus, you and I can have nothing and yet still possess everything. Because of Jesus, and only because of Jesus, you and I, our world can be falling apart around us, and yet we can still be standing on solid ground. Because of Jesus and only because of Jesus, you can be in prison and yet still be free if you have Jesus. What robs us of the joy that Paul has? Not having Jesus. That's it. But before we can walk with Jesus... In life, before we can walk with him in this life, we have to walk with him out of death. See, you and I can't live for Jesus until we've accepted life from Jesus. And that's where Philippians has to start. So this morning, as the band comes to lead us in our song this morning, I just want to be real. I spent 19 years of my life trying to live a good life, trying to live like everyone thought I should live, at least publicly. I won't share any real stories because my mom will be at second service. And uh, <laughs> I spent most of my life trying to be good enough. I spent most of my life trying to be something that I wasn't. You know, it was funny. I was 19 years old and somebody introduced me to Jesus. And I realized I'd been trying to live like someone who I'd never met. And I was introduced to Jesus, and I was realized that in order to live, I actually had to die. And once I did that, here's the deal. There was a moment, it took a while, but I brought my life to Jesus, my junk, my sin, and there was a lot. My doubt, my fear, my anger, my bitterness, and I gave it to Jesus at the cross, and I walked out of the grave with him. I buried my old life in a watery grave, and I was raised anew. 
And you know what? My circumstances, they didn't change. My hardships, they didn't go away. My struggles and my obstacles in my life didn't disappear. Things around me weren't a whole lot different. They just no longer were the most important thing in my life. And so I could live and I could rejoice in the midst of struggle and grief because I had an eternity with a Savior who died for me. You know how Paul rejoices in prison? You know how Paul lives for Christ in the way that he does? Because whether he was behind bars or not, he'd already been set free. He'd already been set free from the prison of sin and death and destruction. So the prisons and the struggles of this world no longer had a hold on him. Church, can I tell you this morning, they don't have to have a hold on you either. Jesus is the one who sets us free. How do you live for Jesus? You accept the fact that he died for you. How do you walk with Jesus? You leave your old life in the watery grave. How do you live like Jesus? You lean on him. And you partner together for the gospel. And when you screw up, and you will, you partake of the same grace that we partake of. The grace that says it's okay. Let's keep walking. So this morning, church, I just invite you to keep walking. As we sing this song, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never died so you can live, let's do it today. Let's do it today. If you want to do that, just come to the front, sit right here, I'll find you. If you're here and you've done that, can I invite you over the next six weeks to just walk a little closer to Jesus with me? Maybe we can grow to be a little more like Jesus together. Can I just invite you to partner with us in the gospel? And I invite you to stand and sing and partake of the same grace. The grace that says no matter where you are, you're free. Let's stand, let's partake, let's worship.